thing. Okay, now I'm excited because uh, I've not talked to him in uh, days. But Patrick Henningsen is joining us right now. He, of course, is the founder of 21st Century Wire, the great news site. Hey, Patrick, how you doing? Hey, great to be with you, Lee. Great to be with you, Garland. And I'm going to repeat what I said before because I'm not sure you were on. But I, I happened to be wearing your shirt today, and I didn't know you were going to be on. But here I am, and I'm in your shirt. Thank you for repping us. Thank you. Yeah, no, you're welcome. And Garland's, of course, got his hat on, so we're we're all attired. You're the only guest that we get suited up for. Get Thanks. So, so my hat must uh, the gold lettering and sentry matches Garland's yellow vest. It does. Oh, absolutely. It's just perfect. Yeah. It's the yes. Perfect. It's a nice pairing. That's what we say in the fashion industry. Garland's. It's a pairing. That's it. And unfortunately. Um, you know, we, we had to get to, to Assange. Have you heard that um, the, the reports coming out now that Julian Assange has been locked up for 11 days and he has not had access to his attorneys? Uh, yes, I've heard that. And, and also um, there's questions about whether he has had proper medical attention and, you know, and to what degree that is, uh, because, you know, if seeing that he's not uh, uh, a, a flight risk or a terrorist or anything like that, he should have been sent directly to a hospital uh, after he was uh, bundled out of the Ecuadorian embassy by the British authorities, but he wasn't. So there's a lot of concern about that issue as well as, uh, as well on the health side. Well, you know, uh, uh, Patrick, we see a pattern, you know, they grab a guy, Paul Manafort, you know, they send, you know, this, the 101st Airborne to get this like 60 some year old guy who's unarmed, you know, whether it's him or various people, uh, 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 Roger Stone, we see that uh, with Chelsea Manning putting people in, you know, continually putting people in, 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 in um, you know, in, in cells uh, uh, by themselves, the kind of torture, it seems to me that the the people who are kind of doing this want to send a message. They kind of go overboard to almost torture the people to, to go up right up to the edge of torture that they can feel that they can get away with to kind of send a message that they're going to go extra hard on people who challenge the system. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, it's intimidation. Um, it's completely over the top. Uh, and w- what you'll find is uh, down the road in months and years, Perhaps uh, there'll be all sorts of mea culpas about the situation saying, oh, it wasn't handled correctly. Uh, It was way too harsh. Uh, We weren't observing his uh, rights. There was no due process. Uh, And and time and time again, we're seeing this after the fact. Um, And and that's nothing unusual, I guess. Uh, But I think it's I think it is. Uh, there's a lot of red lines have been crossed with the Julian Assange situation, and they're continuing to cross even more red lines. And I'm, I think, if this is any indication as to what you'll see uh, if he is extradited to the United States, uh, if you think they're going to observe uh, his rights anymore in the U.S., or he's going to be handled fairly, uh, or his case is going to be heard fairly, uh, I don't think it doesn't look like it uh, based on what we've seen so far. No, not at all, and it should be frightening. And I got to say, too, I'm at a point where, so I don't need, Garland, you know Caitlin Johnstone, yep. no, the yep. Australian, right? So I, I don't know a lot. I, I really don't. I don't know a lot. But I'm kind of into her. I kind of like her. Oh, I yeah, like, she's awesome. I like her vibe, which is F-U, basically. Yeah, yeah, she's got an attitude. Would, she does. She does. And she's very good when you, when you, when you need that perspective, which sometimes you do. <laughs> The less nuanced perspective on, like, John McCain, she's good for a jolt of adrenaline there. And on this issue, 
Uh, she's been great. And she compiled this big list of smears against Assange. People should check that out. That's right. a, that was a big project and a smart project. But on this issue, she's just basically like, stop. This is not, we're not at a point where you want to be debating the finer points of Julian Assange's career, resume, life, right. anything. Stop it. Stop it. There's a bigger issue right now. When they can pull Assange out of the embassy after a obvious buyout with the IMF loan. Right. When this is all happening in broad daylight in front of everybody in front of the world, it's a message from the people in power to us. We will do this to you if we want to. And our only resp- the only response to that is to do something back. The only response is to say, no, you won't. And to remind them that there's more of us than there are of them. That's the only response. And, and to me, that's where we're at with this thing. And so when I see people debate, uh, you know, like the fact that they introduced the question, is Assange a journalist? Was The Guardian asking that a few years ago when they were working? You know, no right. one was asking that question. They inserted that. That's information warfare. Ask Luke Harding about yeah. his Guardian stories about that. So, I mean, have you noticed that? I mean, since Assange got arrested, I felt a, a lot more uh, resolved, I guess. Uh, Patrick, am I alone in that? Yeah, I, I think we, we, because we work in the media, uh, or, you know, we're journalists and, uh, you know, radio hosts, and we work in TV, many of us. So we know how things are spun. Uh, and we know when the media is switching gears. And you saw an immediate pivot immediate shift uh, as soon as Julian Assange was arrested, uh, really going heavily into sort of the personal smears uh, and revived. You saw how they revamped that whole Swedish uh, sex case, like literally within 24 hours. They had a, a letter drafted and was signed by 70 members of parliament saying we can't possibly allow this sex criminal uh, to escape justice. He must be extradited to Sweden immediately. Uh, otherwise, all women who are victims of sex crimes uh, will not be able to sleep at night. Uh, that's basically the gist of, of what happened last week. Uh, and then all the other personal smears about him uh, – uh, smearing feces on the wall in the embassy and the, how he made life hell for embassy staff and so forth. And you can probably guess uh, pretty accurately that the opposite was true, that the the embassy was making life uh, for Julian Assange and he was kind of being slowly, systematically tortured psychologically, uh, but also uh, not in great physical health either, and then denying access to proper medical care and so forth. Um, so again, what we see in the in the press is a uh, diametric opposite of what the reality of the of the story is. And I think you could probably apply that to so many other things, uh, uh, high profile stories. But with Assange, the, the reframing is is taking place, reframing him no longer as a journalist. Uh, WikiLeaks is no longer a publisher. Uh, Assange is a Russian agent. Uh, he's an antagonist. Uh, he's a hacker. Uh, he's a t- cyber terrorist. I've heard this quite a lot over the last uh, couple of weeks as well. Uh, and WikiLeaks is not a publisher. It's not a media outlet. It's a for it's a hostile foreign intelligence uh, agency. So uh, that's complete reframing, and that's going on. And uh, the Guardian is particularly culpable because uh, they milked this story to no end uh, when Julian Assange was the toast of the liberal intelligentsia. 
uh, not five or six years ago. Uh, and the, the, the high-profile journalists and the human rights campaigners and so forth, the people who go to the Frontline Club in London, they all loved uh, Julian Assange. He was the toast of Islington. Uh, now, all of a sudden, he has fallen out of favor in the last couple of years, mainly because of uh, – the 2016 election in the U.S., of course, that's a big part of it. But before that, I think the whole cooking up of the Swedish case also was to really draw the anger of the, the global feminist movement. And that's a big part of the left as well. And the LGBT movement and all the women's groups and so forth, they all turned against Assange because he was immediately rebranded as a, as a sex criminal. Basically, uh, and so that's part part I, I think of the compartmentalization of the fracturing of the support that he had, which was was huge. It was almost unanimous across the left uh, in 2009, 2010 that they supported WikiLeaks because it was seen as a kind of uh, a repudiation of the Bush administration yeah. uh, in the Iraq War. So somehow this this changed. And I think that's actually the big story: how this how the public and how the press have changed. Uh, how they've reframed Julian Assange and WikiLeaks in the last few years. And, and this is not new. If you remember, during the Iraq War, there was a guy who did a lot of reporting, and you might remember his name, on weapons of mass destruction. And before you know it, he got arrested and accused of, like, meeting a child in, or, 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 you know, he got a child porn or child something. I'll, I'll look it up. I'll remember that. But, but my, my, the bottom line is this is, this, this is an old game. I think also— what I find is uh, uh, the people in independent media right now, and, and it's unfortunate, but those are the ones who are kind of leading the drive. And I think it's because people realize that the timing of this is important, Patrick. And, and here's what I mean. At a time when people are recognizing that the legacy media is, you know, has turned into basically a megaphone for concentrated power, whether it's, you know, corporate or bank or, or military power, or, you know, empire power. At a time when people realize that the mainstream media is, let's just say, not as reliable as we would we would like it to be, um, the and they're turning in by droves to the independent media. I feel like this is part part of an attack on the independent media. It's part of the whole censorship plan because they're losing control of the premise by people who are telling the truth. And this is an attra attack on people who are telling the truth. And people like you and I and Joe Laurie and people who are out here doing investigative journalists, I think, recognize. The reality that this is, I would say, the first volley in, 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 that, in that war on independent media. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it, 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 WikiLeaks is – this is the first thing that everyone has to, has to understand. WikiLeaks is the, is the perfect uh, quintessential uh, example of a 21st century uh, digital media outlet or digital press or digital media outlet. They're purely digital. They exist online. Uh, they don't have a print publication. They don't do television. They don't do radio. They literally publish information that's been leaked, and uh, then they vet it, and then they curate it, and then they publish it, basically. And then the press take it and report on it. So they're, they're actually providing a very sort of pure uh, and so from an orthodoxy point of view, this is really what the press is in its purest form. Yeah. And, but it's international, and the contributors, the leakers are international. It all happens in the digital space. So this, is, this presents a huge problem. So this is also under the same heading as, as bloggers, as alternative media outlets that uh, exist internationally, uh, whereby, you know, an uh, independent blogger in Australia or in, uh, in, in Bangladesh can break – 
a, a global story from their from their desktop in their bedroom, uh, and that can go and cascade across all of the mainstream outlets and and shape politics potentially. This WikiLeaks is the high end of that. So it's a jurisdiction issue. How do you control this from a jurisdiction issue? There's ways that they can control it in terms of censorship, blocking um, uh, ISPs, blocking WikiLeaks uh, from visibility in certain countries or Chinese-style censorship. But then the whole process, what, what it represents is a decentralized digital media platform. And, and it happens to have a perfect record, so they, they have to take it down. Uh, I, I believe the U.S.-led establishment, uh, the, the, the Anglo-American establishment, need to take WikiLeaks down. Uh, they need to, to humiliate its founder. Uh, they need to discredit the organization. They need to somehow tarnish. They can't tarnish their output because they have a perfect record after 10 years. This is, a, this is actually the biggest problem. For, for the U.S. Um, and British uh, and European establishments. They can't discredit the output. That's something no other media outlet can, can defend on, basically. I mean, look at CNN, New York Times, and, and, and the Washington Post just in the last 12 months, how many fake stories they published. So, th- so this is they have to go after the individual. They have to do the character assassination. Uh, they have to reframe them as a foreign, hostile intelligence service and cyber terrorists, basically. And they have to say that leaks were actually hacks, and so forth. So, a lot of lying and obfuscation is involved in this process. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. That they are the WikiLeaks are the sort of the big target. And that's why they're intimidating uh, Assange and Manning and putting them through the ringer so hard uh, and then sending a message out to, to everybody. I think this is a defining moment, actually, uh, in terms of uh, the, the modern media landscape. This right now is, the defi- is a defining moment. Well, and I think also part of the thing is the, if you look at the people who support Assange, that has got to be terrifying to – uh, the elites, and here's why. When you get, like when we were at Belmarsh uh, Prison, uh, Patrick, you spoke, and, and then we had Chris Williamson, who's a labor MP, and then me, and then George Galloway. So when you have the guy who's Steve, me, former Breitbart reporter who Steve Bannon said was the best investigative reporter in America, which he did, by the way, Garland, and uh, on radio, and so it may have been puffery, but okay, he said it. Followed by George Galloway, that kind of alliance, and and George and I love each other, right? Right. When they see that kind of left right alliance, when they see the Ron Paul people and the Tulsi Gabbard people all kind of talking, it that is terrifying. Because here's the thing: they know we're right. They know that when we report the stories, we get it right. They know the white helmet. They don't believe in the white helmets. The people, the people who are running the show, they know the game. Right. So they know Kordakovsky isn't a human rights hero and that the white helmets aren't, uh, you know, bastions of humanity. They get the game that they're, they're not the people being fooled by it. And they know we're not fooled either. And they know that there's enough of us across the spectrum that may not individually may not have a huge reach. But like we're starting to get a bigger one. And I think it's really terrifying. And I, I got to tell you. When I look at the people, the unifying thing to me is that they support Assange. That's the unifying thing that I, the thread that I see running through this. Yeah, and I'm a very encouraged to see so, Tulsi Gabbard um, actually came out and took a, a, a pretty clear stance 
on on Julian Assange in this case and WikiLeaks and so forth. So that's really encouraging. And to my knowledge, she's the only uh, Democratic presidential candidate out of the sort of I don't know how many are running now on the Democratic side. A hundred, twenty-five, thousand thirty-six. Yep, <laughs> all of them. She's the, she's the only one to come out with with. Uh, and I'm going to use this term, which might trigger. Uh, feminists and other people, but Tulsi Gabbard's the only one with the balls to come out <laughs> and 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 take a position on a principal position on this. You're misgendering her. What? <laughs> <laughs> She's the only one. I mean, it's embarrassing. It's really embarrassing. On the British, it is. Yeah. yeah. Jeremy Corbyn. Corbyn came out and tweeted the British government should oppose extradition of Assange to the U.S., and so did Diane Abbott, who is the uh, shadow, uh, shadow secretary as well. So uh, you know, th- they're clear on it. So this is brilliant, actually. What they've done, Labor has done, uh, the Labor bench has done in the U.K. is basically forced the issue right up to there, that if you're either for this issue or you're against it. And if you're pro-extradition, that means that you're basically anti-due process and you're against the free press. So just, but but doesn't this show you? It just takes a few people to take a principal position. And then you have a dialectic, you have a, a, a debate which is now being framed, and now people have to decide what side of that debate they're on. But when no one's talking about it, which is this, was the status quo right. really, with the bipartisan uh, power-sharing establishment agreement, which is don't talk about it really for the last few years. But Patrick, you know, they, initially they said, oh, he'll be extradited within 20, 20 hours. I, you, I know we all remember that. Do you think – the backlash has had anything to do with that, with with with, a, with the delay, or do you think it's just part of the process? I, I, the, there is there is due process in the British legal system, and a lot of people are looking really closely at it because there's so much attention on this case. They can't really side skirt um, uh, British uh, jurisprudence, yeah. So 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 easily. So there's a there's a series of hearings that are scheduled um, that he is going to have, and uh, I think it's going to reach a kind of peak uh, at the end of May, around May 26th. I think is one of the uh, final ones with regards to extradition. But there's a few other hearings uh, in the meantime. But they can't. Uh, yeah. So he's not going to be uh, bundled up and black sacked. Uh, overnight. But the, I think the reason they were trying to revive some people, the Swedish case, uh, trying to encourage. Well, Patrick, hang on one sec. We got to go to a break right now. We're going to come back with Patrick Henningsen, 21st Century Wire. You are listening to the best morning news show in America because we bring you the truth. It's Fault Lines with Nixon and Stranahan. Fault Lines. You're listening to Radio Sputnik. Brave New World. Trade talks, as we all know, have been going on for some time now between the United States of America and China. At the same time, there is another much-publicized Huawei 5G story, which some Western governments, including the UK and the US, consider to be something to do with security issues. Beyond all of this is the race to use advanced AI systems to develop new weapon systems. And this, the race between the US and China to develop AI weapon systems, is what this week's Brave New World program is all about. Fault 
Lines. We are back. Vault Lines with Nixon Stranahan, 105.5 FM, AM, 1390 in Washington, D.C. Also, all over the damn internet. And if you miss an episode, you can check us out in what the kids today call the popular podcast format. It basically means it's a recording of the show. And you can listen to it on your device, which is less dirty than it sounds. You can check us out on Spreaker, Stitcher, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Let me think, Garland. What am I leaving out there? I'm leaving out a couple. But any place great podcasts are curated. Also, of course, the Sputnik website and the Sputnik app got that housekeeping out of the way, which, by the way, they don't even really, I don't sweat it that much. We could we could not do that four days in a row. Nobody would ever. Nobody would say anything. Oh, by the way, Patrick, have you heard? But I like to sound like a pro. Yeah, that's why I do it. It's professional. It's uh, it's it's pride, Garland. Professional pride. We got to get people out there finding us, Patrick. Have you have you um uh, heard about uh, Iranian press TV? I just saw that this morning. Apparently, and this is going to be shocking. I'm sure these two things are not in any way connected. But apparently, like a day or so after the U.S. said they want to stop all uh, Iranian uh, exports and oil exports and show and, and, and do no more waivers for countries who buy oil from them. Google has um, shut down um, press TV's access to their YouTube and, all, and their Gmail accounts. And, and again, a, 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 a big part of the, um, you know, of, of this whole uh, censorship thing. What do you think of that, Patrick? That's unbelievable. That's, that's really unbelievable. Um, now they, they, they took press TV off the, uh, satellite and the Freeview television uh, systems here in Europe. I think it was in 2012, and they did it on really spur- spurious uh, accusations. In fact, they gave two different answers why they took them took them off the air in the UK, and they took them off the uh, the, the Utah satellite in Europe, uh, and then uh, I think pretty much expunged it from all of the uh, cable uh, services in the in the United States as well. So then it only existed on the internet, okay, in terms of the West, although it's on satellite channels across the Middle East. There's many of them, uh, satellite networks in the, in the Middle East and, and globally. Uh, but uh, that's pretty amazing. I think that shows a level of collusion uh, with the Silicon Valley uh, in the United States government. I mean, the, the, the case that the uh, U.S. is bringing right now in the last couple of weeks is basically identified or categorizing the Iranian uh, Republican Guard, Revolutionary Republican Guard, as a terrorist organization. Okay, so it's basically saying the Iranian government is a terrorist organization. Uh, and a few weeks before that, or a few months last month, they did the same with Hezbollah. They said Hezbollah is a terrorist organization. Is what the UK government had has done. And now John Bolton's uh, crusading. Uh, he's offering ten million dollars for any information for Hezbollah's global financial network. Okay, he- Hezbollah have. Um, near majority seats in Lebanese uh, parliament. Okay, so th- th- they're part of the Lebanese government. Their ministers uh, are part of the cabinet. Okay, right. Uh, there's no e- there's no evidence that Hezbollah is carrying out any terrorist attacks. They've just basically made it up. Uh, and this is the same Mike Pompeo in the U.S. State Department that are on television. Uh, on U.S. TV or in full view of the public, saying that uh, Iran was somehow responsible for 9/11. Okay. I mean, this is just insane. The, 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 they're living in a – they're constructing a parallel reality, and they're, 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 they're banking on the fact that most Americans are too stupid to, to figure out 
or, or most people who watch Fox, I'm not just picking on Fox, but I could say the same about CNN, but they're too dumb uh, to, to know their own history. Uh, and to sort of figure these things out. So uh, I don't think it's flying very well, and I don't know how long they're going to be able to hold this facade up because uh, the, the, the the world sees the injustice of this particular maneuver by the United States, basically trying to uh, impose an embargo on a country the size of Iran uh, so that you can't buy any oil from Iran. And their argument is the mullahs are stealing all the money. So if, if any countries are buying money from Iran, they're putting money into the evil mullahs' pockets who are squandering the country's finances, uh, and, not, and the people are starving in the streets. Exact same thing that they've done with Venezuela, with the Maduro government, saying this is the exact – I've seen what the supreme leader – I've seen. I've been there when he was picked up in his uh, 1960 Citron diplomatic car with dents in it, okay? It's, it's a very austere lifestyle that some of these guys live. They're not, they're not living lavish lifestyles, so it's a total lie that the U.S. is trying to propagate, okay? You might have an argument with the revolutionary government or their policies. There's many things that you can debate and argue on for certain, okay? But the, the, the justification that they're using uh, for these sanctions and for this embargo and for all these uh, drastic maneuvers like censoring press TV off of YouTube and things like this, the pressure they're putting to bear on Silicon Valley, it's all based on basically fabricated narratives. Not, there's nothing to do with the truth doesn't reflect reality at all. What it does reflect is that uh, the U.S., is, their foreign policy, I believe, and many other people, is being largely driven uh, by fears uh, that are being stoked by the Israeli lobby, but also Saudi Arabia also has a huge interest uh, in, in marginalizing Iran for a number of reasons, as do other Gulf states. Okay, So it's, it's not – I don't think it's, it's born out of any threat to the United States at all. In fact, Iran's fighting ISIS on the ground in Iraq, uh, in Syria, uh, and, and have lost probably a lot more men than the United States uh, in the fight against ISIS. In fact, yeah, it's, you know, my take on this is, look, there's a lot that I don't like about Iran for what, it, for what it's worth. And like, but don't make me defend them by accusing them of stuff that's just not true, like they're the biggest funder of terrorism in the world, that kind of thing. Where I have to, where I have to end up defending Iran and going, no, that, that that's crazy, because it's crazy. It's not true. the The whole uptick in terrorism over the past few years, which has died down some, but the, that big uptick a few years ago, that was all Wahhabist, Salafi connected groups. It was Boko Haram. It was Al Qaeda. It was ISIS. It was uh, Al Shabaab. It was all, all, all of them. All of them, Wahhabist Salafi groups, Sunni Wahhabist Salafi groups, which is different than the Shia religion, the uh, the Shia sect, uh, the Shia sect of uh, of Iran, and it's just absurd. And anybody who knows anything about it, look up the attacks, look up what happened. That's what happened. Yet they've been, they just repeat it. They just uh, guys like Bolton and Pompeo's been on a. I don't know if you saw Pompeo. He's been on a kick lately about this. So they're just able to uh, to to I don't I lie blatantly lie. I'm not sure it's I a certain percentage of the Trump base is falling for it. I would say when I talk to people, it feels to me like thirty to fifty percent may be falling for it, but not more. Uh, and so, uh, what what's your sense 
Of, now, first, I mean, we talked about this when I was in uh, London. By the way, Garland, you're going to hang out with somebody in England. Patrick's the guy, too, because he knows we went to the Troubadour. This is a place, uh, Patrick, they know him well there. This great club. That just sounds like such a British like bar and pub or something named the Troubadour. But wait, How yeah, cool Pat- is that? Patrick, tell Garland. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna screw it up. Tell Garland about the Troubadour for a second. That, that, that's that's what Jimi Hendrix used to play. Wow. Back back in the day, um, when he was just doing his one man shows, um, and uh, a number of other people played Paul Simon and you know, just got a great music history. It's one of the last great kind of old world venues probably in the whole country. Yeah. Yeah, and it was right down from where my hotel was, which was right down from where the embassy was. So it was great. It was great. It was great. And so we hung out and talked news and stuff uh, all day. And so I'm just saying, if you're in England, the troubadour is probably buy him a, a buy him a pint. <laughs> now he's not near the troubadour, but when he's in London, he is. That's all I'm saying. But uh, we we had such a good time talking about the news. One of the things we talked about was how because you you grew up in America, you've been in uh, England more or less 20 years, most of that time, correct? Yeah, yeah, 25, 25 years, yeah. And we talked about how it, it, it's very interesting. I've said this to everybody who I, because I really enjoyed hanging out with you. And I talked about, when I told people about you, I said one of the things that Patrick did that's very interesting to me is you seem to have made a lifestyle choice that would allow you to do the news honestly. You seem to have, like, you. it seems like you went to England and you, you're there for a number of reasons, and you live kind of an austere lifestyle, partially because you know that when you tell the truth, there's a limited market for it. There is, right? And and that it was more important to you to be able to tell the truth than to whatever, pursue a lot of the things a lot of people would do. Is that, am I summing it up sort of correctly or... Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to live that austere lifestyle in America as well. Um, you know, I got we managed to, to before before we were deranked, kind of and killed on this on organic searches by Google, as many alternative websites were in April of 2017. Um, we I was able to buy time on a major uh, carrier. Uh, in Phoenix, uh, one of the biggest uh, talk radio markets in the country. Okay, and we did that, and so, so that, but there's nobody who's going to. There's no agents, you know, Salem Radio. No one's going to want me to 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 tell the news the way that we're telling it. Um, there's only a few places really that you can do that. You guys happen to be on one of those networks. Okay. Yep. Fortunately. Yeah. But, uh, but it's a, it's a limited market. It's a limited market. So yeah, it's a, it is a lifestyle choice. I mean, if you want to be completely independent, uh, it's there's no there's no money in it. You know, there's not a lot of money in the truth generally, uh, but there's a huge amount of money to make if you're willing to lie to, for a living, or you you're re- you're ready to produce fake news and fake commentary and to spin propaganda. There's untold fortunes waiting for you uh, with a number of major corporations, and I think everybody knows that. But you know, if you want to if you want to be committed to doing things, try to do things correctly. I'm not saying that. I'm perfect or we're perfect and the people that I work with are all perfect. We we try we try to do our best, but I can say that we uh, I won't publish anything uh unlike the New York Times or the or the Post. I'm not going to publish something or say something that I can't validate. And they've been doing that for the last 3 years with RussiaGate, okay? So they've broken every principle in basic journalism constantly on a daily basis. And in fact, they're still at it now. 
even after the uh, whole narrative has basically collapsed. So, but, but you know, if I was willing to play ball, um, I, I, I could probably, you know, be a lot more financially successful and, uh, and you know, have a great position with uh, some company or some media outlet. But uh, that's we're not playing that game. So we're playing a different game. So. Uh, we're playing old school, <laughs> old like, rounders, I guess. Well, you know, and, and what's interesting to me, too, you made an interesting observation earlier in the show that a lot of the people uh, supporting Assange are media people. They know the media. And and one thing, you're, one thing you're also getting at here that's interesting is a lot of the people around this Assange issue, a lot of the people I've met there, because they have that experience, they get the game that gets played in the media. And and so, for instance, on the right, 100%, I know, I'm not dumb, I know the money's in supporting Israel unquestioningly. You know, if, I, if I'm willing to do that, and a lot of people on the right pursue that, and they're like, I'd like to pick up some of that Adelson money. So what you end up with is unpaid people who are affect auditioning. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. And by the way, people on the left do it for Soros, too. And I know it because I was I, I worked on the left and I worked with Move On and groups like that. And and uh, a lot of people working in that sphere. And so you, when, when you get that kind of big money in politics like that, that big, big money, uh, it does have an effect on the output of everybody, even the people you're not funding. And have you noticed that, Patrick? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 unavoidable. You you, you would know it better as, as well as anybody, Lee. Um, you know the amount of money that was was being plowed into Breitbart, uh, for especially from say 2015, uh, and it made the careers of so many different people that came out of that, and we're able to sort of springboard from there. Uh, to build media empires of their own, uh, but yet still still subsidized by that big money. And this just basically means there's certain things you, you can't talk about. I'm crucified just for things that I said uh, in 2012. Um, the Huffington Post or some of these media outlets will dox your Twitter accounts until they find something where you, you mentioned something about geoengineering uh, or you republished someone else's uh, uh, commentary on some mass shooting, uh, and there, therefore, that uh, you're somehow guilty of uh, falling foul. You mentioned 9/11. You 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 posted someone's documentary that uh, questioned the official uh, narrative on 9/11. Somehow, that's a mortal sin. You can't you you can't touch any controversial event, or or you cannot you cannot stray from the official line on anything if you work for a major media outlet for the simple reason that the pressure will be just too great on that organization. Everybody knows or everybody from at least below the CEO could get fired uh, or could lose their job or lose all their advertising contracts. Well, you know, we we mentioned before uh, at the end of the first segment that we got Alex Jones coming on the show tomorrow from InfoWars. He's going to be in studio tomorrow uh, in the first interview we've done with him. But I've I've said this about Alex, and I and, and I've I've had criticism of Alex before I ever went on Infowars. While I was on Infowars, I have criticisms, but I got to say this: what they hate about Alex is not what he gets wrong; it's what he gets right. What the the reason they deplatformed that guy is because on a lot of these issues, when they start to get into stuff like the real stuff about the Council on Foreign Relations or the the, the Bohemian Grove stuff. 
the that's real. That is real. And it's weird. And people should be, journalism should be focused on it. But because nobody, because everyone's afraid to, quite honestly, what, like why is there no 60 Minutes report on Skull and Bones? Why is there no big investigative? Re- that's a weird group that seems to me pretty exclusive and violating all kinds of diversity, blah, 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 right? Like you'd think somebody, but no, no, they don't want to touch it because it's the real power. So you end up with people who are just crazy enough to take it on, like Alex. Uh, and 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 uh, and Patrick, we only have a couple minutes left here. But uh, what's your take? Well, I I, I, <laughs> I probably have a lot to say about that subject. I mean, um, I on on Alex Jones personally, I think his best work was when he used to make uh, really interesting and informative documentaries. Uh, yeah, years ago. Uh, so around 2010, 2009, 2011, before that as well. But I think he became he, he really tied his horse to the Trump uh, truck wagon uh, in 2015, 2016. And, you know, my criticisms of, of Alex and that they he pushed QAnon, pushed Pizzagate, uh, pushed stories like ISIS was was going to invade over the Mexican border, you know, into Texas. Yeah. Crazy stuff like that. I mean, so. Yeah, no, I agree. And I agree with all of that. Yeah. I've got a problem with with some of that stuff. And I think it actually um, undermines some of the good work that he's done in the past. But, you know, but I think he he's he's great at playing to the crowd. He knows who his audience is. And um, he, he's running a multimillion dollar business. So he has to make decisions uh, just like a mainstream uh, organization does. Um, he's not alternative by any stretch of the imagination. People yeah. forget how long I've known who Alex Jones was for a really long time. A lot of people only figured him out in the past few years, but I used to live in Austin like 15 years That's ago. That's where he's from. In, in yes. Texas, right? And he was, and, and when I moved to Austin, he was already famous because he's in Richard Linklater's, he's, he's in the uh, Waking Life, a film that he did. It's an animated film, great film years, years ago. Alex is in that film because he was a local legend in Austin, and people forget that. We, you know, Patrick, we're just about out of time, but I would like to say to me the big story to me um, of the year in England was the Integrity Initiative story because it showed that incestuous relationship. It showed yeah. how it runs from the government to these fake NGOs, fake organizations, and then in a, ultimately all around the world they've got, as they call it, clusters of you know supporters in the press. I think that was the big story, and that it showed government money flowing through these organizations. But we're just about out of time. Patrick, where can everybody go to find your stuff online? Well, of course, uh, 21stCenturyWire.com and also UK Column. Dot org. Uh, I'll read the news live uh, every Monday uh, at ukcolumn.org uh, as well. You can see me there. And on Sundays on the Sunday Wire, which is broadcast on the alternate current radio network in 21stCenturyWire.com every Sunday at uh, 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. And by the way, quality apparel. Am I right, Garland? Oh, I love the hat. The hat's great. The shirt's great. It's quality apparel. Support Patrick, 21st Century Wire. We got more coming up, two more hours. Vault Lines, Dixon, Stranahan.